Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. It's Eric with IndieWarm. And while we always talk about new movies on this podcast, thanks to our sponsors at Vimeo On Demand, if you go to vimeo.com slash IndieWire, you could see some older movies as well, like Girlhood, which is a really terrific, stirring, tough, but also very warm-hearted, emotional story about a girl gang in Paris directed by a terrific French filmmaker, Celine Sciamma. And if you use the promo code ERIC20, you can get a 20% discount to watch that movie right now, as you can for films like World of Tomorrow, a terrific animated short film, The Wolf Pack, and Kumiko the Treasure Hunter. So go to Vimeo.com slash IndieWire and check out those movies using the Eric20 promo code. I promise you won't be let down. But for now, on with the show. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief film critic. This time back from Europe, although my usual sparring partner, Ann Thompson, is now in Sarajevo. What are you doing out there, Ann? I left the Congo and went to, I went back to Istanbul and then to Sarajevo, which is not Bosnia Herzegovina, the site of what you may recall is a bloody um, very destructive uh, siege. Uh, that was depicted in Angelina Jolie's film, uh, Land of Milk and Honey. Um, and, you know, while the city has it's the capital of the country, and it's, it's half a million people, and, and they have this extraordinary uh, film festival that they started during the siege. Um, and wow. and it, uh, it's something that sort of came up organically as kind of um, meeting at a, at a theater um, and that was, happened to be underground that was, was in, a, in a basement and people had no electricity, they, they didn't have any way to communicate with each other and it just became this sort of uh, place where they would, would show videos and, and get together and, and communicate and out of those uh, beginnings grew uh, what eventually became this world class um, film festival so the historical background is really interesting, but how's the programming? The pro- well, partly because it's on the calendar, if you, if you think about it, you and I are about to take off for Telluride in Toronto, and, and you know it'll be the big fall festivals with New York, and, and of course there have been some recent announcements of more, um, you know, we now know more about what's playing at Venice and, and, and Toronto and, and New York, but, but the... Um, uh, this is therefore at the end of the calendar, if you like. And so they focus, they have a competition that focuses on films from the region, uh, which is Eastern Europe, which includes places like Turkey and um, uh, Croatia and uh, Serbia, which they have booked Serbian films, and Serbian filmmakers do come in. And the opening night movie um, is a movie that has played Sundance and Berlin already. It was called The Second Mother. Um, a Brazilian uh, filmmaker, Anna Moylai's uh, film, 
about uh, a, a domestic, uh, in, a, in a rich household um, in Brazil, in a, a big city, who, whose daughter shows up. And that movie's actually opening in, in New York next week, as it happens. So you can see that the, that the timetable is, this is sort of at the end of the, uh, of the, of the spectrum, you know, the, the sort of calendar of, of festivals. You know, the closing night is uh, Donna Shetanovich, the local filmmaker who you may remember from No Man's Land, his film Tigers, which has been going around. Uh, it's, it's the closing night film. And then um, the other film that, that opened here, played here, is called uh, The High Sun, which, which it was amazing to see that movie in a, in a theater full of people, very much about the, the uh, cost of, of ethnic hatred in a sort of Romeo and Juliet uh, context of, of romantic relationships between um, uh, Serbian and, and Bosnian uh, man and woman. So a lot of different stuff that we won't necessarily be talking about once the fall season heats up. So it's almost a nice situation. That's not necessarily true because the second mother could well be the uh, Brazilian entry for the Oscars, for example. Um, and some of these films may end up being in that context. And they're playing Son of Saul here, which, oh. which, was, uh, obvi- which is obviously the Hungarian entry. Um, and, and they're playing the Colombian film Embrace of the Serpent that just got picked up from, from uh, a, a North American distributor. So I think that could end up being uh, the Colombian uh, entry. So, so, so some of these films are going to be foreign entries. Uh, in that, uh, and so I'm, catch, I'm catching up on a few things that won't do me any harm. Well, it's, a, it's certainly the right time to do that. I mean, you're coming back tomorrow. We have a week or so to take a breather and then uh, Telluride starts up right after that and, and Toronto right after that and we'll have so many different bigger fall season movies to talk about. In fact, the last time we spoke, we didn't have the full Toronto Film Festival lineup and now, I'm sorry, the, we didn't have the full New York Film Festival lineup and now we do have that. And, um, and Toronto as well. We and Toronto. Toronto, as well. Toronto has, I think, a few more announcements to, to come just because the, the lineup is just so massive. But most of the big stuff has been released. But the, the New York one is interesting just to start with that and dig into what, what, what's there because, as usual, most of it isn't new. It's a lot of best of the best type stuff. But there was a one. A lot of th- can entries, yeah. All the, all the, all the can entries and some stuff that will be on, on the fall circuit elsewhere and. A lot of stuff that's worth digging into in more detail and reminding people about later on, in some ways because it, it won't get the same kind of attention that a lot of other things will get. But that's certainly not the case for one of the films that was, was announced, which is Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies, uh, one that we haven't discussed too much in detail. There hasn't been a lot of talk about this movie one way or the other. I mean, it's Spielberg reteaming with Tom Hanks. It's this biographical drama, sort of a a thriller based on this 1960 U2 incident, Cold War era stuff. Um, it, it doesn't jump off the page, but then when you stop and you think about it, it's Spielberg working in sort of an old school thriller mode with Tom Hanks, and it's in New York Film Festival. I think that changes anticipation for this movie. At least for me, I'm looking at Spielberg as somebody who, you know, in some in some cases can be a real letdown. In other cases, he delivers in a way that very few other filmmakers who work on that level can do. 
with this kind of material. Well, and so I'm, I'm really curious now about Bridge of Spies. I've been curious about it all along, but, um, you know, the question still remains, is it a mainstream studio, Spielberg Entertainment, or, you know, does it, does it feel like Munich, or, or does it rise to some... It, it feels... The fact that they're looking at the, at the festival suggests that they think it needs that kind of elevation and that they're aiming at the awards. Um, they're not treating it like um, just another um, mainstream entertainment, but it's going it, to, it, we need to see it to, to see if it right. I love the fact that Mark Rylance is in it. That, that adds interest sure, from Paul to, uh, to Spielberg, and, um, and we'll see if, it, if it's more than, um, you know, a, Right, and let's not forget that Lincoln showed up as a quote-unquote work-in-progress premiere at the New York Film Festival. It was basically done when it showed there, but that was another case where I think, you know, a lot of people didn't really know what to expect. Oh, a Lincoln biopic. That's not, even with Spielberg attached, something you would automatically get excited about from, you know, for a lot of reasons, but um, it, it certainly did go a long way. And, and, and was an award season player. And this also has a, a screenplay co-written by the Coen brothers, which doesn't hurt. That's a different element. We don't usually see Spielberg. Well, they Coen helped brothers. Angelina Jolie with Unbroken as right. well. <laughs> right. No guarantees. Yeah. Well, and that, and that you know, to, to be fair, that was a film, a, a less uh, seasoned filmmaker. So this is sort of like, a, almost almost looks like a best of the best in some ways in, in terms of what the possibilities are. Um, and I think also it, it is interesting to talk about late period Spielberg in, in the context of these dramas. Spielberg's name has meant so much to so many different kinds of film viewers over the years. And as a, as a sophisticated uh, visionary director, the, the kind of detail allocated to, to human dramas is very different from, say, the kind of spectacles that, uh, that Spielberg has often been associated with. And I think it's taken some time, even post Schindler's List, which has been, you know, more than 20 years, to, uh, to, to really convince people that this is a filmmaker who can capture that kind of narrative uh, and, and to do it in a way that, that's bracing and, and not uh, sort of didactic or, or bland. And, and so what, what, I, what I'm hoping for here, what, when, I, when I look at the kind of materials in place is, is, is maybe some kind of throwback to a different kind of studio filmmaking that's not done well anymore, a, re- a really exciting Cold War era drama in a time when, hey, the Cold War is something that people have been talking about a lot with the, with the nature of our relationship with Russia and so forth. And, and so my, my hope is that this is going to be a movie that because it has been taking the festival route is going to create a new dialogue around what late period Spielberg means. And, you know, perhaps an award season with Spielberg is actually a richer one because Spielberg is one of the few Hollywood filmmakers who does seem to make movies that work within that context but don't pander to it in quite the same way that, say, some of the other titles that, you know, I don't necessarily need to take off do. You know, like just because. What's great about Spielberg is that he's 
Bill has one foot in the past, as Clint Eastwood does, as an old-fashioned storyteller with a great many skills at his disposal. At the same time that, like Clint, he's also still engaged with an audience. He cares about an audience, and he's not operating in some ivory tower, you know, quiet location speaking to himself. So, he, you know, there's potential there, but... Um, Will it rise above, uh, you know, a good old story well told and become something that becomes um, incredibly Oscar-worthy? I, I, it's hard to say. It will be well-crafted. It will be. It will be beautiful. Um, and we will think, yes, it's more timely now than ever. And he knows how to get, calculate those things. Exactly. Very I mean, good at that. There was a terrific uh, portion of a, of a recent New York Times article about Obama's post-White House plans that involved his his consultations with Spielberg on constructing a post-presidency narrative. You know, of course, of all, of all people, you know, Obama needs a Spielbergian narrative behind his, his, his presidential legacy. <laughs> well, maybe Hillary should be checking in with him, too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like she needs a Sidney Lumet or somebody like that, more of like a hardline <laughs> vision. So that, that wasn't the only New York Film Festival title far from it that was released. There was a lot of stuff... Uh, worth digging into, some of which you know we we've already talked about. There's also some some interesting omissions. You mentioned Son of Saul. That was one that I thought um, you know I, I wasn't certain that it would be in the lineup, but I but I do wonder you know what the the challenges ahead for for a movie like that will be. It's really it'll terrific. It'll do fine. Yeah. It'll do fine. It's going to be a lot. It'll be in, in, I'm sure it will be in Telluride and and, and Toronto. We'll, we'll see it, but. Surprises on the Toronto lineup uh, for me. Uh, I'm not sure it's a surprise, but I I I I had heard, I'd spoken to the Sony Pictures Classic people, so I understood the truth. Uh, James Vanderbilt's uh, CBS um, journalism expose about Mary Mace, played by Kate Blanchett, which will be her second Oscar, presumably Oscar-worthy role um, uh, after Carol. Uh, she's the lead, and then the Robert Record plays the Dan Rather character. I heard that that was going to be in the, in the mix, so that's a big title with potential. One of the movies I caught up with here in uh, Sarajevo, which I had been looking forward to, was 45 Years, which played Berlin and has been on the festival circuit, and it's a British movie directed and written by Andrew Hay, who did a great movie called Weekend, um, a gay Romance. And of um, course, created at the uh, now canceled HBO show Looking. Correct. That's it. Yep. And uh, so it stars Tom Fortney and Charlotte Rampling, who are well known uh, veteran British actors. And they're about to celebrate their 40th, 45th wedding anniversary. And a huge revelation comes down that this woman that the man was involved with before they got together has been found. Her body has been found frozen in the Swiss Alps or something, and and they they just it just rocked their marriage, and and it's a great great little uh, movie. I'm not sure how well it will do Oscar wise all around, maybe screenplay adapted because it's from a short story. But I think uh, certainly Courtney and and Rampling will be um, in the acting and the acting mix. So that's in Toronto. Yeah, and, and, I, and, and I, well. I believe. So, so 45 Years actually premiered back in Berlin when I talked a little bit about it in, in February, and it was pretty clear there that at least for Rampling, this was a major moment, and it's IFC's putting it out. than for him, because yeah. men's race is usually more competitive. 
and it's got, I believe, uh, Cynthia Swartz, the, uh, a veteran awards campaigner, working on it and, and pushing hard. So uh, certainly there there are already uh-huh. yeah. you know gears in play for that one. And oh, it's uh, a natural for the academy, which of course, in spite of all the additional members that have been added over the past few years, of, you know, from many different demos, uh, this one uh, will play for the standard. Uh, older, older Academy demo, which remains the, the dominant one. It seems like it'll be an interesting year for the Best Actress race. I mean, the, you never really know with that category, but as, as you mentioned, Carol earlier is, is going to be reintroduced from pe- to people in the fall circuit post uh, its can appearance when it did okay. Um, people like it, the but I think... for Carol is that there will be a backlash because it came out of Cannes looking very strong, and the thing about a Todd Haynes movie like Carol is that it isn't a, usually a crowd-pleasing uh, entertainment. There is something very formal, very thing about the way he makes Constructive. it. Constructive. what he does. Yeah. And, and so there's going to be some debate about Carol. But, uh, but I, I think I this is perhaps... Perhaps a, a more uh, I would I would dare say warmer film for for Todd Haynes and I say that with with so. all due respect I because I so. love his stuff. Um, but also I mean it just the, the two of them, Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, are, are, are really I think the the engine that, that that carry that movie much in the way that the two leads of Forty Five Years do. And so to look at both of those, yeah, I think those will be some of the, the really interesting, more intimate films in the fall season worth talking about because there, there's so much about sort of this close collaboration between the filmmaker and the star and that's sort of what makes this medium interesting when you strip away a lot of the extraneous variables in play and so I really I think people will, will give Carol a chance as word gets out that it works so well for so many people I mean I don't want to spoil anything but it's got this phenomenal ending that, I, that really moves that a lot of help. people and, and that, yeah, it lands well. Out with that. Exactly. Yeah. And there, there's some and other... Um, you want it to end in a way that's very unusual. Because um, the other one that's coming up in Toronto that hasn't been uh, highly talked about um, is Our Brand is Crisis from David Gordon Green, which stars Sandra Bullock in a very juicy role as a uh, professional uh, coach, if you like, for uh, and strategist for ability and presidential candidate and she has vulnerabilities that her professional nemesis played by Billy Bob Thornton is going to go after and there's something very appealing about that one. I think the the premise is interesting the fact that it's based on a a fairly popular documentary will will help elevate its profile on some level I'm, I'm skeptical about the way in which it's going to play for people Partly because while I, I enjoy the kind of versatility of David Gordon Green's career, I find that his movies tend to alienate people on some level. He's never really been somebody who makes a uniform crowd pleaser. He, he experimented with studio comedies that worked for some people, but they still were kind of crass studio comedies that appealed to a male demographic. I mean, our brand is crisis. The, the topic is, is heavy, but, I, but it also sounds like a, a very small kind of contained narrative that may be inviting more conversation than it does sort of uh, discussion of, of, of its storytelling abilities. The only reason I'm interested in this is, is the premise, and 
I mean, I think he's a perfectly good director. I'm interested in, I think Sandra Bullock is the one who's going to run away with this. Even, and perhaps Billy Bob as well. Um, the two of them going against each other just gets me interested. Sure. For real. Sure. No, I mean, in terms of performances and in terms of topic, I think it'll be a, I think it'll be an interesting movie no matter what. I'm just sort of curious about, you know, the tone of it, how it deals with this this topic versus... We have to see. We exactly. have to see. That's one of those things that you can't tell from, from afar. Sure. So we see more footage. And then there's the Tom Hiddleston Sunny Pictures Classics project I saw the light where he plays Kate Williams, the uh, country music star. That one another one where I thought he was going to be skeptical. Super skeptical, he's, yeah. He's a very, very good actor, so we, we should yeah, that one, and, and Truth as well, you mentioned that. I mean, Truth, I saw some uh, a clip for that at a, at the Robert Redford tribute that they did at the at Lincoln Center last year, and, um, you know, you never know with these things, but just seeing a few seconds of it, it, it was kind of hard to buy. It seems like it, it may struggle with that, that, that cha- overall challenge of just Dan Rather being such a particular... Right, you're, you're dealing with an icon playing an icon on some level, and there are two different kinds of icons, and that dissonance may be a bit of a, a challenge. But uh, at the same time, again, the, the topic is certainly interesting, and, and revisiting the Dan Rather downfall during an election season as another election season upon us will be fun to scrutinize and, and provocative in, in certain ways. It's just certainly not at the top of my list of, of anticipated titles. But uh, there's certainly a lot of other question marks. I mean, you got something like About Ray, directed by uh, Gabby Duval. Yeah, you tweeted that as though you thought that was a big uh, Oscar title. And I looked at that, and I was, like, totally not seeing that. There's no way that 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 looks—I can't explain to you how—I was thinking about this, how you look at material, and you look at the picture, and you look at the story, and you look at the cast, and it's it's like a— a Malcolm Gladwell blink moment or something, you know, and you just, I just reject, I didn't take that seriously as an Oscar contender for a second. It's really hard to say. Uh, there, there are aspects of it that, that look like it could be a disaster and others that look somewhat promising, but we have it something looks like... like Vincent. It looks like one of those mainstream Harvey Weinstein, you know, aiming at a, at a, at a relatively uh, sort of... Um, mainstream audience to me. Yeah, drama, family drama. Well, of course, a mainstream audience doesn't necessarily hurt an Oscar season either. It depends on whether it gets the critics. It depends on whether it becomes more of a serious Something like Vincent, which, by the way, I liked Vincent. And I enjoyed it, but I didn't think it was an Oscar contender. I mean, remember, just to, to be clear, this is a movie we're talking about Involving a teenager who wants to transition from female to male—that's an incredibly topical concept. And a couple podcasts ago, we were taught we were discussing. Well, the what, Danish girl is already there. Yeah, the yeah. Danish girl is there. We were talking a few episodes ago. I remember about um, how, as much as we like the movie Tangerine, the the star of that movie, who's, who's transgendered, uh, would never doesn't have a shot of getting an Oscar nomination because they're not going to do a campaign, but. It's a it's a talking point. I mean, the the White House just hired their first transgender staffer this week, and so that sort of hook is something that shouldn't be discounted in terms of raising the visibility for something like this, and also for 
the academy, I would assume, brings some element of, of consequence to its themes. Isn't that something that figures into these things? I don't think they think about it in those terms. It's really a question of whether it moves fast or, or whether it's just incredibly well executed. It, it really comes down to, to the whole package of, of critics. Let's, this is a case of a movie, and all the movies we've been discussing, really. Uh, Toronto becomes a crucible of Telluride combination of those two festivals really start to to winnow out you know the the pretenders and the and real contenders well another movie that uh in, on some level is it's sort of walking that line where you can't quite tell is it in the conversation is it not in the conversation it's actually opening this week and that's grandma with lily tomlin and you've been talking about this movie for a while you're a big fan Unfortunately, I still haven't seen it. I love it. the movie as an entertainment, but I will tell you here and now, that's heading for the Golden Globes comedy. <laughs> you know, that's, that's but is that, is that a pejorative? I mean, if you're in the Golden Globes comedy, does that, does that mean essentially that, that you've been cast aside in Oscar season? It has to do with what its options are as, as a comedy. And, uh, you, you, you know that the Academy tends to be more... Uh, uh, forgiving of drama and take it more seriously, give it more credibility. Um, and the brutal truth is that the Golden Globes have multiple categories. Right? There's the musical and comedy category as well as the drama that gives them that many more slots to reward someone. So if she gets that, if, if Lily Tomlin, who is popular, gets that kind of um, uh, accolade, uh, it'll help her on, on track, you know, with, with the Oscars. But the comedy Golden Globe doesn't necessarily help you that much. Well, I, I guess the, the question then isn't so much, you know, what sort of traction is it going to have with the Golden Globes? Is, is this movie strong enough to remain in the conversation for other reasons? I mean, it seems like there's, there are I a lot I of I somehow things. doubt that. Yeah. I, I think the only chance that, that it has is for... Someone like Lily Tomlin, who's a veteran who's been around sure. for decades, who's had this extraordinary year with her TV show with Jane Fonda and so on, that she comes back roaring, and they just love her so much that they they go for it. But in you know, like think about it this way: at the end of the year, are the critics going to be putting Grandma on their ten best list? Are they going to be talking about it and giving awards to Lily Tomlin, or are they going to be talking about Carol or some other more serious drama? I think you know the answer. Well, we never know. We never know because with the critics groups, I mean, things can surprise you. Things can crop up, especially because of the somewhat complex and and convoluted voting processes, which we'll have to delve into once we get closer to that time of the year. But, you know, there are things that, like Marion Cotillard in Two Days, One Night last year, that was not a performance that I think everybody was talking about. But then New York Film Critics helped to bring her into the conversation. Right, and then she got a nomination. Yeah, it, it makes a difference. So I, I guess it's it's an interesting question. I mean, is Grandma a critics movie? I mean, uh, some they people go, say, they will tend to err on the side of the artier, uh, if you like, the more artful, um, higher brow movie, as opposed to the mainstream comedy, which is what Grandma is. Yeah, I mean, the, the comedies in general, I guess, struggle not just with, uh, in, in terms of award season, but just in general with being taken seriously. But, you know, there's also just a dearth of, of great comedies. I mean, that's sort of what, what's, what's uh, unfortunate, but also intriguing about Oscar season is that the funniest movies 
wind up being the ones nominated for best animated feature. So I yeah. know, and they are often the best written as well. And I, I have great hopes for for uh, Inside Out, as you know. You know, one movie that, that I finally caught up with. I, I wish I had seen it back at when it when it snuck into Sundance. Not a lot of people are talking about it, but it, it, because it was released overseas earlier, I actually had it. it it's in theaters in the U.S. now, but I, I had it on my my plane, so I watched it on my way back from Europe. And that's Sean the Sheep movie. Um, it's totally charming. Whether or not you're familiar with the Ardman guys who did Wallace and Gromit, and also it, it was a it's a TV series, um, but it's it's entirely devoid of dialogue, uh, much in the same way that Minions is is a movie that's that was driven by characters who don't really speak. But this movie is even more kind of charming in the way that it uses slapstick to to tell a very interesting story and and. Um, it's basically about this sheep who escapes with his flock into the city and they end up getting kind of alienated and they miss their home. And I think it does a really good job of sort of tapping into that alienation. And so while on one hand, I still think the most substantial animated feature of the year I've seen so far is, is of course, Inside Out. I almost want to root for, for Sean the Sheep as an underdog to creep in there because uh, it, it was actually, it was, it was quite strong. So, um, you know, I still have to that out and it's one of the ones I missed because I was leaving Chapman. I, I will uh, maybe it'll be on my plane. Exactly. Yeah, I'd like now, to see it. Now you have viewing options. And so you're coming back tomorrow and I'll see you in LA. I'll be there over the weekend and then next week when, when we regroup we'll finally have the entire Toronto lineup to go over as well as a bunch of other things. So Oscar season continues to evolve and fortunately it's early enough that we're not sick of it yet. So I can't wait till next week's conversation. Safe travels, man. Thank you, Eric. Talk to you then. Well, maybe you could lend me a good woman. I'll pay you back when my ship comes in. Anything to get me out of the ghetto. If you're really a true friend, that's all I need. That's all I need. Just one step above the ghetto. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 